I like to make it very clear too that I never am saying this is what you should do. Like I have no qualms or problems with people who traditionally publish. I have friends who are traditionally published and I'm their biggest cheerleader. So it's very much a personal choice and decision. I also like to say that the way of publishing, say, 20 years ago is so different from how it is today. And I think that when self-publishing was first starting, a lot of people had it in their back pocket as like a plan B. Like maybe I'll try to get the agent, I'll try to get the publishing deal. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't work out, then I can always self-publish it. But today it's not like that. There are people who are pursuing indie publishing as their first choice for various reasons, which we can talk about like pros, cons, all of that kind of stuff. And it's not a fallback plan. It is sort of like, hey, I see the benefits of this. I see how I could really succeed and pave my path. And they kind of skip the whole traditional model. And that's okay too. Hey there, welcome back to Lit Match, a podcast made to help writers find the best literary agent for their business and writing career, and also write the best manuscripts that they can hook that literary agent. Today, we're actually going to do something a little different. We are going to talk to a self-published author. And the reason for this is while this podcast, the foundation of this podcast, is built on helping you find the best traditional publishing route, the reality of it is that sometimes traditional publishing actually is not the best route for a writer. So I have this wonderful guest. She is a self-published author. Her name is Jen Craven, and she has this authentic, insightful perspective on what made her decide actually to step out of traditional publishing. She was actually getting requests for her querying manuscript in order to pursue self-publishing and also that she's always open to navigating what is the best for her as an author at different times and for different books. So I think that it's really important that I share this episode because we as writers need to always consider what is the best route for us, self-publishing, traditional publishing, hybrid publishing. There's a variety of ways to publish in today's market and there are lots of pros and cons to each path to publishing. To help you make that decision, because I do get that question all the time, I have the honor of bringing you today Jen Craven. For a little bio, Jen Craven is the author of Upmarket Women's Fiction, where one decision changes everything. She's the author of two historical fiction novels as well, but Best Years of Your Life is her debut contemporary work, and this is the genre that she shares in this episode that she's going to continue with. She writes from Northwestern Pennsylvania, where she lives with her family. And I'd like to share the, I'm holding it up now, the back cover for Best Years of Your Life. Married college professors Christine and Josh thought they had it all. Jobs they love, a beloved daughter, and most of all, each other. That is, until Josh's research pulls her further and further away, and strange bouts of forgetfulness put a wedge between them. Lonely and seeking the emotional connection she once shared with her wife, Christine forms a friendship with a student that quickly walks the line of right and wrong. 18-year-old Abby is an outcast, desperate to fit in. When the most popular girl on campus suddenly befriends her, Abby can't believe her luck. But the friendship comes with strings attached, stealing exams from her mom's computer for the in-crowd. Soon, 
both mom and daughter are in deep with their deepest desires on the line. When their secret lives collide, their indiscretions culminate in a catastrophe no one saw coming. With an eye for suspense perfectly blended with the tender mystery of human connection, Best Years of Your Life explores the consequences of bad decisions and the tension between desire and dignity. I love mother-daughter stories, and I love emotionally-driven stories that also have elements of suspense but aren't necessarily mentally a suspense book. So woohoo! I'm excited for this one. I hope you are too. I will include links to where you can purchase Best Years of Your Life and find Jen Craven in her website and social media accounts in the show notes. So look for that. Without further ado, let's talk to Jen. Hi, Jen. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to have you here. I've heard you interviewed before and I love everything that you do on your Instagram account. I think that you are super funny and clever and really organized with your writing. So it'll be great to talk to you today about your process and your self-publishing route. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. For listeners who don't know, Jen, Jen Craven is the author of, and I'm holding it up, I know this is podcast, but eventually I'll put this up on YouTube too, The Best Years of Your Life. And this is your first book, right? This is my first in this genre, this contemporary women's fiction sort of space. I did self-published two historical fiction novels before this. And then once I had the idea for this one, it really kind of grabbed me and I, I I think this is definitely the the lane that I'm going to stay in in this contemporary area, which is my my next few drafts. Uh, future books are sort of very similar to this one. So, yes. and I know that you're what you're working on next because we've talked about that. So we will yes. get into that. I will of course want everyone to know what you're writing now. But before we do that, why don't you tell us about your writing journey? What really brought you into writing as a career, as a profession, as something that you're doing, and also what made that shift into the contemporary route? Absolutely. So I've been a lifelong reader, of course, as most writers are. Love books. Never really thought that I would be writing them. Never had that childhood dream of being an author that just, I I guess it didn't occur to me. I went to school for something completely unrelated. But the whole time I was, you know, an adolescent and teen, 20s, 30s, all of that, it was sort of like, I, I like writing. I like words and I like putting them together. So I guess my professional writing sort of started with personal essays. I was fortunate to have bylines in places like Huffington Post and Washington Post and a lot of mommy sites like mommy blogging kind of stuff when I first started having children. And that was so fun. I loved writing those sorts of first person pieces. And it really wasn't until probably about 2018 where I kind of thought, hmm, I wonder if I could switch over to fiction. I wonder if I could really take a stab at writing a book. And so my first historical fiction was actually a fictionalized biography of my great aunt. So it did stem from a personal connection, a personal story, which felt like a natural progression from the essays that I wrote. And from there, I got bit by this bug. Totally was like, I love this. I loved the process of writing the book and, and all of that. So it started very small. It was very much a family project. Didn't really think it was gonna spin into a, a full-blown career. But over the the last few years, I kept writing. I put out a second historical fiction. And then the idea struck me for the current book, which is Best Years of Your Life, which was a total 180 from historical fiction. It's very much a contemporary story set in present day, a lot of elements of suspense, but really the heart is like a women's fiction story. 
from there, I said, you know what? I think this is definitely my lane. This is like my little sweet spot of what I want to write. And that's what I'm going to continue to do. That's excellent. And we've mentioned a couple of times now. So you are a self-published author. And normally on Lit Match, we focus on traditional published and conversations with literary agents and helping people navigate that submission process. But I really wanted to talk to you because I think you are excelling at self-publishing. And also it's really important for writers to know that traditional publishing is not the only way to go with publishing. In fact, sometimes it's not the way that they should go. So I really wanted to talk to you because I know I've, I've heard you talk on this and I think that you just speak about it really well and you've really thought about this. How did you decide self-publishing is for me and traditional publishing is not for me? Because I get that question all the time. Should I self-publish or should I traditionally publish? And it's really important for people to do what's best for them. Yes, absolutely. I think this is such a complicated question and it's so unique to each individual writer. So I am happy to share my experience, but I like to make it very clear too that I never am saying this is what you should do. Like I have no qualms or problems with people who traditionally publish. I have friends who are traditionally published and I'm their biggest cheerleader. So it's very much a personal choice and decision. I also like to say that the way of publishing, say 20 years ago, is so different from how it is today. And I think that when self-publishing was first starting, a lot of people had it in their back pocket as like a plan B. Like maybe I'll try to get the agent, I'll try to get the publishing deal. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't work out, then I can always self-publish it. But today it's not like that. There are people who are pursuing indie publishing as their first choice for various reasons, which we can talk about like pros, cons, all that kind of stuff. And it's not a fallback plan. It is sort of like, hey, I see the benefits of this. I see how I could really succeed and hit my path. And they kind of skip the whole traditional model. And that's okay too. So for me, when I was writing best years, I thought that I was going to go traditional. I was going to try to go for that deal. And I did spend several months querying and the manuscript, it went fairly successfully. I had a really great response rate and request weight. The manuscript was out in full with several agents and I was super excited. But the whole time I was doing it, there was something in my gut saying like, this just didn't feel right for me at this time and with this project. It's really hard for me to like articulate and ex give a concrete like why, just a whole variety of reasons. And so after a lot of thought, I ended up withdrawing all of those submissions and respectfully and just a very respectful withdrawal and did a total pivot and went indie. And I gave myself, I'd say like four months or so, which is a short time frame compared to traditional publishing. But that was enough time for me to get all my ducks in a row, to try to get a little bit of advanced marketing and promotion going, and then put the book out on my own timeline. So that was kind of like my path. And again, there's so many pros and cons, but I've been very happy with my choice with this book. And I think it's done fairly well. Statistically, if you look into the numbers of self-publishing, it's done well. And I've really worked hard to try to keep on the level playing field of my traditionally published counterparts because I feel like the quality is there. And I want to legitimize indie publishing as a very valid path for authors. One of the most interesting things that I think is that you were actually in the query process you were getting requests and you, yeah. in your gut, you said, this isn't for me. I love that you listened to your gut. 
I think that when it comes down to it, a writer really needs to understand the best route for them. I say that all the time when you're looking for your literary agents, it's a business partnership because you need to both share a career vision. So it's yes, it's so important that you trusted your best route to what your career is going to look like and how right. you are going to navigate that. And another thing that I think is so fascinating, because I want to talk about the pros and cons. Maybe I can find it for the show notes. You have a really fun reel. It's about what happens when someone asks what you do. And right. you basically have a splash of everything that is involved in a self-published author. And of course, like traditionally publishing, a writer has a lot to do. One of the biggest misunderstandings is that sometimes people think they go traditionally publishing, that they won't have to market their book, which is a complete yes. misunderstanding. You absolutely right. have to market the book. So tell me all the roles of a self-published author and how did you know this is what I want to do? Because as a self-published author, you're in charge of it all. Yes. As the self-published author, one of the huge pros is that you have full creative control. And that's great. I decided what I wanted to write, when I wanted to put it out, what was what the cover was going to look like. I, I could decide all of that. Whereas if you go with a traditional publisher, a lot of times your title might get changed. They create the cover. You may have some input. You may not. You're on their timeline, all of those sorts of things. So that was very important to me. And one of the huge pluses and takeaways of self-publishing was to be able to control all of that. Now, on the flip side, in the same breath, you're in control of everything. And that's a lot to manage, you know? So it's like great in one way, but it's also very overwhelming in another way. One of the things that I always talk about is just realizing like what is within your bandwidth? What can you do on your own versus what do you need some help with? And the nice thing is that there are so many experts out there who can provide services like cover design and formatting and all of those sorts of things if that's not something that you can do on your own. There's some people that can't and shouldn't because then they may not end up with a very quality product. So knowing your own skill set and then knowing where to find help is definitely important. For me, I have a background in Adobe and I used to teach classes in Adobe design and that sort of stuff. So I was able to create my own covers and which I love doing. It's just like fun for me. And so that was something that I could take off of my budget that I needed to hire out and I could do myself. I really wanted to try to learn the whole process. I Maybe it's like my stubborn Irish blood, but I was kind of like, I want to master this. And so I spent a lot of time just learning and researching and watching YouTube videos and trying to see what I could do. And if I, if I ever came to a roadblock where I really couldn't, then of course I would have been open to help. But I really kind of was a one woman show in this self-publishing of this book. And there was great satisfaction that came from that. It felt really great. But at the same time, it was a lot. And that's not for everyone. When it comes down to being a lot, I think structure and having a really organized organized plan for how you're going to execute all the steps is really important. Right. Because the steps are important, right? Yes. Absolutely. Even when it comes down to launching, like you have to prepare how to launch your book. Doing some initial research into like what all goes into self-publishing a book make like a bulleted list and then go through and say like, all right, what are the things that I can do myself? And what are the things that I need to hire out or whatever? And then also that time frame, keeping in mind, you're not going to be able to boom, do all this and pop your book up on Amazon next week. It does take time. So you have to work in advance. And probably a big part of that too is deciding why you want to write and publish a book. Absolutely. Because some people want to write and publish a book 
And they're okay if they are just giving it to their friends and family. That's a totally justified why. However, if you want to make a career out of this, we have to look at the business side of self-publishing. So this is your lane. Expand on that for me and let us know why you decided to go self-publishing for your career and how you started to navigate those pros and cons between self-publishing, traditional publishing. And then if you have any tips on how you tackled actually all of those roles, that would be fantastic to share. I think it really does. You hit a nail on the head there with knowing what your vision is and what your goals are for your writing and for your book, because that's going to vary from person to person and there's no right or wrong. Really just trying to figure out what are you trying to get out of this? And so for me, it was definitely like, I would love my book to be out there. I would love people to be reading it. All the fun things of making lists and getting thousands of reviews, those are great too. And I would be lying if I said I wouldn't love to have those things, but that wasn't a primary goal for me. I'm very much a slow and steady stay in my lane, do the work. And I think if I build it slowly, the readers will come. It's that cheesy like baseball lines in that one movie, right? Build it, they'll come. But I do love that mindset because that kind of fits my path, I really think. But in terms of the business side, I do have to think of it as a business, a small business. And it takes planning, research, it takes money. You have to spend money to make money, all of that kind of fun stuff. So budgeting is definitely important. And we can talk more about that too, like what things cost and what you can expect to spend. But yeah, in terms of marketing, it can be uncomfortable for some people too, because they are the writer and a lot of times writers are introverted and they don't want to put themselves out there. But if you're thinking of your book as a product that you're trying to sell, then you are the face of it and you really do have to kind of step outside those comfort lines a little bit and think of it as this is a small business where I'm trying to I'm trying to make an income. It all trickles back to what are your goals. And if that isn't your goal and you don't really care about the money and you're just doing it as a hobby, that's also fine. If you're comfortable with it, let's talk about money because I think that it's really important to talk about money. I think that especially when it comes to business, like at the end of the day, publishing industries are about profit. And Mm -hmm. of course, it's this tricky line because authors write these stories because we feel called to write them a lot of the time. We want our books to get in as many readers' hands as possible. I truly believe this. Stories are one of the most meaningful ways to make a difference in the world, whether that is through creating an emotional experience or an educational experience. It's about creating empathy in others, right? So it helps us connect. At the same time, because you do have to spend money to make money, you have to set up your budget. And, you know, if you go traditional publishing, it falls like one of those pros and cons, because if you go into traditional publishing, you don't need to pay for an editor. You don't need to pay, you know, if you're lucky, you'll get a higher advance, which means that you're going to probably get a publicist. So it's like you will have support and guidance, especially legal advice on how to navigate all of that. As a self-published author, you have to start making your decisions on what is it worth spending? How much are you willing to spend? Ideally, you're going to make that and then some, if Mm -hmm. not multiple some. (laughs) But let's talk about, you said, specifically, what can someone expect to spend? That's probably dependent on your goals as well, right? So can you just expand on that for me? Sure. It's definitely depends on your goals. I think it kind of breaks out into a couple categories. One is like pre-production costs and one is like post-production costs. You could spend tens of thousands of dollars marketing your book after it's come out. That's a whole nother conversation. But just to get a book, a, a professional looking quality book, self-published, there's a lot of costs that could go into it. For instance, 
you should definitely hire an outside editor. Most agents that I am aware of that, that I've listened to or, or heard speak say that if you're going to go traditional and you're querying agents, that you don't necessarily need to spend that money on a developmental editor because that's something that would happen along the process once you got agented and contracted and all of that. But if you're going to produce a self-published book, you probably want to spend that money getting it professionally edited. It's, it's an outset set, set of eyes. Even if you've had great beta readers and critique partners and you feel strong at self-editing, it's different. I highly advise getting a developmental editor to look at your book. And that can cost upwards of over $1,000. It's usually based on per word, the rate. So it depends on how long your book is. A longer book's going to cost more and all of that. But, and that sounds like a lot, but it's worth it. I would strongly recommend. So editing for sure. Then you're talking about the actual design, the format, the cover, the interior. Are you setting up an ebook and a paperback? Those are two different types of formatting, all of those sorts of things. Can you do it yourself? Maybe if you do the research and watch lots of YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff. But if you're, if that's something that's going to make you breathe fire and be awful, then hire someone out. There are people that do that. But again, you're going to pay for what you get. If you want a quality designed cover, it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks, maybe up to 500 bucks or so or more. And then you pay a hundred bucks and you get the crappier cover. And so the cover, in my opinion, is one of the most important things that to spend money on because it is what the readers see. And you can easily spot an amateur cover versus a professional cover. And that's right away going to scream self-published, self-published, and that can turn readers off. So if you're trying to stay on par, getting a professionally designed cover is super important. So we talked editing, cover design, formatting. Once again, these are things that, well, I did have a professional editor, but the design stuff I did myself just because I have that skill set. So those were sort of like the pre-production stuff. There's sometimes cost incurred with setting a book up on different platforms. Like Amazon KDP is free, but if you're looking into Ingram, Spark, there's a setup fee. So those are usually smaller numbers, but they're still put it as a line in your budget because every dollar adds up. Then the marketing afterwards, it can be endless if you hire an outside publicity, a PR expert, if you are trying to get on blog tours. If you're trying to print physical art copies to send out to bookstagrammers, all of that kind of stuff, mailing out copies, it all adds up. So really, I think just doing your research to find out what opportunities are even there and then picking and choosing what's going to fit in your budget is definitely the way to go. If you Google how much does it cost to self-publish a book, you'll see figures. And the average that I've always come across is between two and $3,000 mm-hmm. to put out a decent self-published book. But again, it could go much higher than that, or it could go down to much lower. Depends on what you're looking for. On one of the things that you've mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've heard this before, and I think from what you just shared, it is supporting this accusation. The two most important areas that you probably need to prepare to invest are an editor and a book cover designer if you are self-publishing, because an editor is great. Okay, so... An editor, and you, you mentioned developmental editor. I know what a developmental editor is because I am one. But yes. talk to us about what a developmental editor is because sometimes you need a developmental editor, but you also need a copy editor. You might need yes. a line editor. So what are the differences between those editors? And do you anticipate a one-time hire or do you think that you're going to need to do multiple hires for multiple rounds? And then my other question is when you do book cover design, because you've mentioned you have that skill set. So yay for you, because that's right. great. But a lot of people do not right. have that skill set. And I completely 100% agree with you. 
just like when you go into a bookstore, what attracts people the most? Mm-hmm. The book cover. Yep. Book cover, title, back cover copy, read the first page. That's usually how we make a decision on if we want to spend our money on a story or not, right? right? So all of those things are going to be those first attention grabbers. And then, of course, the story itself will be whether or not we talk about it and buy it for others and right. share it. So yeah. anyway, like I'm getting away with myself, but expand on the types of editors and why you think you need to invest with one, multiple, multiple rounds, whatever that would be. And then we'll talk about book cover design after that. Perfect. There are multiple types of editing and editors out there. I mentioned developmental editing, which is sort of like a high-level overview of the whole book in terms of the plot and the content. A developmental editor is going to make sure that the story arc is there, the character development is there, there's no plot holes, there's really good, just that the whole story is cohesive, makes sense. So it's really about the story and the plot. They're not going to pick out typos. They're not going to go line by line, that kind of stuff. So it's big picture things. And those are super important because that's what that's what makes or breaks a story. And so that's developmental editing. In my experience, that's usually the more expensive option of the editing because it takes a lot of time. My editor that I worked with for Best Years of Your Life she read the book more than once. She did a one read through just to like read it, just to grasp the story, a whole second read through to analyze and to put her eyes in, you know, use her skill set to give me feedback. That's a lot of time that an editor is going to take with your book. So it's going to cost a lot of money. And so, you know, we're talking over a thousand dollars. And then you've got line editing, which is again, going kind of line by line, making sure that the grammar is sound, all of those sorts of things. Similar to kind of copy editing, looking for the typos, it's more of that nitty gritty sort of stuff, which would happen after the fact. And then finally, proofreading, which is, again, that final read through, catching any last little thing. There's going to be varying costs. And in my experience, most editors out there can do all of them or offer all of the services. But there could certainly be people who specialize in one or the other. But again, I think you're going to see varying costs. Based on their experience, there's some who are just newer, they're just starting out. There's some who have done this for 10 years. And again, you pay for what you get, just like anything. But there's places you can find these people too. I get that question a lot. It's like, where on earth do you find an editor? And so a website that I always recommend is readsy.com. It's R-E-E-D-S-Y. And you can find all types of freelancers from editors to cover designers to formatters, all of those sorts of people live on there. And you can see a lot of recommendations from people they've worked with, previous projects. A lot of them will offer to do like a one page or first chapter edit so you can get a sense of their style. So I think that's one of the really good reputable sites to find freelance people in the book industry is readsy.com. And I like that you've mentioned the types of editors, but also that it's really important for a writer to seriously consider if an editor is the best fit for them. Because I think that's another thing. There are a lot of editors out there and most editors specialize in certain genres. So grounding areas of conversation, if you're a right fit in that way. But it's important for writers, just like writers should be interviewing literary agents before signing representation, they should be interviewing editors. I think that they need to have those conversations. If you're going to spend that money, a great editor understands that these are passion projects as well. And we don't want to take advantage of any writer. So when you're thinking about that and figuring out how you found your editor and if you thought your editor was the right fit for you, 
What were some big takeaways from your initial conversation with that editor that confirmed your confidence in that editor as your editor? Well, I did have a like a Zoom introduction meeting with her. She, you know, she's the one who suggested it. So I totally, you know, thought that was great. And we hopped on and just kind of chatted a little bit. And I do think it's it's equally about matching on genre and her subject interests and all of that, but also just personality. I mean, not that like we're going out on dates or something or whatever, but it just does have to be like this uh, feeling of match because my personality comes out in my writing and her personality is going to come out in her editing. And it, it just has to feel like it's going to be cohesive. And so I just got like a good vibe from her. We talked about types of books that she likes to read, that she's read recently. We connected on those. We had read similar things and love. And so I just knew that she was going to like my type of writing, my style, my genre, all of that, and be able to really invest in the project to give good feedback. Because we've all read things before that it wasn't for us because that's what reading is. It's so subjective and, you know, that's not my style or whatever. I wouldn't want to be editing something that I didn't like. That would be awful, you know, and I would maybe not be putting my whole heart into it. So if you know someone is really into what you're doing or is going to connect with your book, then I think you're going to get more out of it from the editing side. And then the other thing that I think is really important is that if you are investing in something like an editor, you should be prepared for feedback. It is critiques. People take critique in different ways, but ultimately if you're paying someone, you do want some critical examination. Why else are you investing in something if you don't want improvements? How can you help someone understand, basically identify when the critique fits what they're trying to do for their vision for the story? And then what are some ways that you have applied that critique in order to make your next drafts the best that they can be? That is the hard thing about critique and feedback is that it can be tough to swallow sometimes, but you're so right. You're not paying someone to just give you praise. What's the point of that? If you want that, you go have your mom read it because of course she'll love it. You need someone outside of friends and family to give completely objective, non-biased feedback. And what I always do is when I get that, whether it's from a beta reader or critique partner or an editor is, I'll get that initial email back or the track changes in the Word document and I have to read it and then let it sit and like marinate for a day or two because it's easy to, it's easy to let your emotions in. If someone's questioning something you wrote or if someone's saying, I don't think this part's working or, you know, whatever, you're like, but what do you mean? No, this is perfect. I wrote this and this is my baby. How dare you? So you have to sort of let it sit and Every single time for me, I always come back to the computer and say, they're right. They're totally right. And that's the thing. Being able to set your emotions aside and your pride aside to for the betterment of the story, because that's what the, an editor is trained to spot things, to improve an overall story. I know it's never coming from a place of maliciousness. It's solely that editor trying to improve your work. And so once I remember that, then I'm able to come back more objectively and, and and implement the feedback. However, with that being said, feedback is subjective too. Like one person I've had, you know, maybe a group of beta readers read something and I get feedback from one that loved a part and feedback from another that said it didn't work or didn't like it. And it's like, okay, you've got these two clashing ideas. Now what do you do? And so you have to keep that in mind too, is that one person's opinion doesn't represent all and your writing's never going to appease every single person not every single person is going to love everything you do. So you kind of have to pick and choose like what you want to implement, what feedback you want to apply and what you want to skim over. But 
big picture things, I think, are usually always, you want to consider those pretty heavily if they're coming from an editor. What you're saying there is really important. I want to emphasize this for listeners because you will get conflicting feedback just from beta readers and from your editors, right? So there is subjectivity to literature. That's just right. That's the reality of it. And you mentioned that you're not going to please every reader. And I actually think that that is a badge of honor because when you are not pleasing every reader, it means that you are starting to really focus on your target reader, which is really important because you have to identify that. One of my favorite pieces of advice that deals with email lists, but kind of a similar mindset came from Gabriela Pereira. And she told me initially it can be really gut-wrenching when people unsubscribe. But the reality of that is that when they're unsubscribing, you are now figuring out who your audience really is. So it's similar to that with feedback. This is where your gut has to come back into play because it's your story. At the end of the day, it's your name on your book. I would love to hear if you have some examples. What was a piece of conflicting feedback that you've received where you can generalize this? And how did you start to decide what you were going to do with that and how you were going to apply either the feedback or not apply the feedback into your draft. The one that comes to mind is in Best Years of Your Life, there's a character who is like a creepy janitor guy. And one of my beta readers had said she didn't really like this character, didn't think he worked, thought he was maybe a little too stereotypical or cliche or something like that. And suggested, gave me a few suggestions of like, could you do this or could you turn him into this person or could you combine these other characters into him sort of thing or whatever. And then I had other people who were like, oh my gosh, I love that guy. He was so creepy, but he fit the role and he added the suspense and the tension and all of this stuff. But I really valued this one reader's feedback and was kind of like, oh, geez, you know, like, well, if she didn't like it, then other people might not like him. And you start to question yourself. But then at the end of the day, I ended up leaving him. I left his character as he was, as I wrote him. I really liked it. He's a bad guy in the book, but I liked the character development and I thought it fit and and all of that. So I had to kind of, again, stick to my gut and remember that feedback is feedback, but it is subjective. So things like that, or I've had other in books like scenes where I don't think this scene works or it fits. And I had to decide, you know, do I keep the scene? Do I not keep the scene? And I think if you, a common thing that I think of is if you have multiple people saying the same thing, then that tells you something. If it's one person pointing out something, but no one else agrees or touches onto that, then maybe it's just that one person's opinion. If it keeps coming up over and over and over, the common theme through all your readers, then that's more telling. Absolutely. Definitely. If you have reoccurring feedback, that's a red flag. Something that really, as writers, we really have to be conscientious of is studying our reactions to feedback and understanding, okay, is this my ego getting in the way? Am I getting defensive? Yeah. Because there's something in me that really wants to hold on to something about the story. And perhaps this is a kill your darlings moment. Yes. Or are you being able to look at your own feedback with a little bit of subjectivity, subjectivity as well? One of the things that I just always really like to emphasize is that when it comes to feedback, you mentioned this when it comes to editors, for the most part, you shouldn't, and hopefully you're not giving ever your story into anyone that has malicious intent when they give feedback. You choose who you're giving your stories for critiques for wisely, because the goal here is to be professional about this. It's not to have straight up attack. That's not what we're looking for. This is a very vulnerable place to be writing a book to begin with. We invest hours and hours and years of our lives into writing stories. So 
we do have to be conscientious of that at the same time, understanding who you're giving your feedback and building that trust in that relationship and how they give you feedback and help you start to understand when it's something that for whatever reason you might be drawing ego into your reaction to the feedback or if this is something that um this is something that you want to fight for because it's okay to fight for something as well you know absolutely and i think it's also figuring out if this is the first time you've worked with the person whether it's an editor or a reader then that's hard to kind of gauge because you're just you don't know this person that well you haven't worked together that long but then if you do continue to work with someone for multiple projects or over a period of time it's then easier i think to get their vibe, their style of feedback and all that. And you can interpret it a little bit better. Yep. So that's, I think, another spans into a whole other conversation about your author community and who you work with and who you collaborate with, because that's so invaluable. I have a group of, I would say, maybe four or five readers who we exchange things back and forth. And just it's just so great because we can be very honest with each other, but no one gets offended. So that's super important. I was going to ask you, do you have accountability partners? <laughs> yes. Listeners out there, an accountability partner. So someone who's helping you make sure that you're meeting your deadlines and your goals and keeping you accountable to finishing your writing project because it's very easy for someone to, I, mean, I guess it's not very easy, but all of us can begin a book. Very few writers actually finish a book, let alone bring it to the publishing stages. What are some strategies that you use to maintain your schedule? Now you have published, so you probably are on even more of a regimented schedule on meeting deadlines. That's part of the beauty of when you haven't published yet. There's no expectation of the next book yet. Once you publish, though, that expectation is on. Now, some writers, they are more comfortable with publishing once every three years or once every year. And again, this is about figuring out what is the right path for you. So what is your path? for how many books you want to publish in a certain amount of time? And then how do you figure out your life so that you can, know, yeah. you can meet a, those goals? Oh, that's a hard question right there. I mean, yeah. yes, we are all busy people. We've got outside lives. Most authors have day jobs. That's the truth, as I do. I'm a copywriter, so I'm working with brands and companies and all of that kind of fun stuff. I guess in terms of timeline, I've never been the type to be like a rapid release author. I frankly don't know how they do it. I think they're like superhuman people who pump out a book every month. It's wild to me, but kudos to them and their readers love them for it. I think I fall more into like the one book a year sort of category and that works for me. I have three young kids and I have a job and responsibilities and all that stuff. So I don't know that I would be able to really pump anything out quicker than that. But I like that. I feel like that that fits the genre that I write in, that fits my contemporary authors, the people who I would comp with. And, and I like that timeline. But I normally don't take much time off in between projects. I kind of jump right back in because once I'm done with one, I'm either then doing pre-launch stuff, trying to do some advanced marketing on that, but the writing part of it's done. And then I start to miss the writing part. So I want to jump into a new project and that keeps me distracted. It kind of helps balance the marketing of one book with the creativeness of writing another project. And so I already am done with my next book. And some people might think like, holy, that's really fast. Like your best years of your life just came out at the very end of August. It's not even been six months. But I started that a year ago when I was prepping best years of your life. So there's just a lot of stuff that goes behind the scenes that the average reader doesn't really know or that... There's there's so many wheels and balls up in the air at once, but it's just a nice balance of trying to balance that business with the creativeness because I like both sides, but if you get too sucked into one, then you miss the other. First, I just want to say one book a year is super respectable. (laughs) 
I think that's amazing that you're doing one book a year. I think that that's a huge accomplishment and you should be praising yourself for that. The other thing that I like what you're saying here is that you are always, you're changing your hats, really. You're doing maybe marketing for one book while you're writing or planning the next. This is something that we always as writers need to be aware of. And this is how I think you can be successful at building a career of this. We can't just have waiting periods where we do nothing. Like when one book is with an editor, maybe you're starting to plan yeah. the next one, right? If you want to meet, if this is the, the path for you and you want to meet deadlines and consistency with something coming out on a timely manner. So that requires a lot of hat juggling. At the same time, how do you help your brain switch? It sounds like it's fun for you to switch, but you are talking about, okay, we have marketing going on for one book. We have editing going on for another. We might be planning the next one. Are you trying to manage all of that at the same time? Or do you give yourself dedicated chunks of time for each role so that you can invest all your attention into it when you're in that moment? Yeah, I do think it's more of that. It's more focused on one even if it's per day, it, it, you know, maybe it's a week that you focus on something or a day. But definitely, I, I don't think switching back and forth like hour to hour it would be very productive. I think that would be really tough. Like today, I'm sort of in best years of real life mode because I knew we had this interview and I just did a book club Zoom last night for it. And so I, I'm very much in that headspace. And so the current or the other book that I just finished, like it's kind of on the back burner, the one one that's kind of twirly in my head. Can't think about that today. But I think starting a new project or having multiple things going at once can be really helpful too, because it can help you distract from the waiting. So whether you're self-publishing or traditionally publishing, there's going to be waiting. I mean, my book was done and I was doing prep stuff pre-launch, but I'm still waiting till that launch day. There was some time where I was maybe kind of like twiddling my thumbs, like not a whole lot to do, but I was still waiting because I wanted to get some of those advanced reviews and do a bunch of that pre-marketing stuff. So I was like, I will drive myself crazy. Or when you're in the query trenches, you will drive yourself crazy if you're just checking your email a thousand times a day, waiting to hear back, or you have fools or partials out and you're desperately waiting to hear back. Don't do that to yourself. So for me, that's a great time to start something new or get work on another project as a great distraction for Just like plots need to keep moving, we need to keep moving, right? Exactly. It also seems you're really valuing blocks of time and dedicating blocks of time that's been effective for you is helping you do that in, that might be days at a time. Days are helping you do that. So if you can get a day per project. Absolutely. It is kind of, it it can be hard to switch hats. Like if I'm in a strong marketing, you know, little phase and then it's kind of like, okay, you pull up in that draft again and you're like, where even was I? What's going on here? But For me, I just have to like do it. Once I start typing, type a couple words, the the flow comes back and you're back in that mindset again. So let's talk about marketing. One of my favorite things that you talked about in another interview was understanding the elephant in the room. Most of us are introverted. We don't want to use social media. We have to use social media. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be your best return on investment. However, you do need to have a social media platform and be building a platform. That's the reality of today's world, right? In marketing. Yeah. So figuring out, do you have to, as a writer, do you have to understand and master all of these social media platforms? Or can you select the social media platform that is best for you? And how did you make that decision for your work? Yes. To answer your question, 
social media is super important. Like it or not, you got to be there. But also to follow that up is the answer is no, you don't have to be everywhere. You have to be somewhere. And so I think you need to figure out which platform is best for you in terms of what do you enjoy? Do you enjoy posting pictures? Do you like to share articles? Do you like making videos? So each each platform kind of has like a little specialty in a way. They're similar, but they're differences. But then not only what you like best and what feels natural to you, but then where are your readers? Are you writing YA? Then you need to get on TikTok because that's where the Gen Zs are hanging out. If you are writing women's fiction for women in their 40s and 50s, then Facebook is probably huge for you because that's where they are. You know, Instagram, I think, is like a nice little blend in the middle of a lot of different age groups. There's a lot of, you know, different demographics there, but figuring out where your readers are mostly and then trying to master that one platform is easier to digest mentally than trying to stretch yourself out doing everything because that's just not Maybe over time, if you get comfortable with one or master one, then maybe you start to dip your toe into another one and spend a little time there and build up that a little bit. For me, I'm definitely more on Instagram than any place else. And my Facebook presence is a little bit less. And then I just started to kind of dabble in TikTok a little bit. And because again, why not? Like, but I'm not stressing myself out to all of a sudden be an expert at it. I'm okay with just learning, taking my time and, and figuring it out as hard as I go. Is it important that wherever you do decide to go that you have consistent content? I would say yes. I've never forced myself to be on some sort of schedule with hosting. I think that's just, that takes some of the fun away, in my opinion. Social media is is supposed to be fun. It's informative and you want to get information out to your readers. But at the end of the day, it is fun. So I, I post when I feel like posting. I post when I have something to share. I don't ever force it. And there's sometimes, there's days when I post every day in a row for like five days. And then there's times when I haven't posted for a week and I I don't overanalyze it. I think that's part of why I was so attracted to your account in the first place, because I felt like everything was so natural and fun. And you like, you did a really good job at showing your personality and what you were sharing as an author, but also as a human being. Yeah, so I, I really like your Instagram account. You have really fun reels. I think that they're super clever. Thank you. Like, People you know. are surprised to learn that I am introverted. It doesn't come across in social media. It doesn't come across when we do these interviews, but I am very much like a whole body kind of introverted person as a lot of writers are. But I just found a little bit of comfort in social media that it is still behind a screen, essentially. So there's a little bit of comfort there, but also just, I don't know, I think so much of it is about being relatable. And so if you can find people that can relate to your content, then it doesn't feel as forced. Mm-hmm. You know, you've mentioned if you're writing in today's world, you think TikTok, you think, oh, I have to get into book talk. And you just mentioned that really you need to be on TikTok if you are writing for those YA, that Gen Z audience. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the best social media platform for your target readers if they're not in that age group. That doesn't mean it doesn't benefit you probably to have a book talker. Of course. Support you. So if it's one of those things where you're trying to maybe not be on TikTok, do you think that there's an advantage or are there strategies to getting your book in the hands of a book talker who has a large influence? Yeah, that's such an important point. I actually took a course back in November from Lee Stein and she did a book talk course, which was so great. And I took I had so many takeaways from it. And one of her big things was you as the author are probably not going to have some big explosion on TikTok 
based on a video that you posted. Chances are, if your book gets any traction there or goes viral, let's say, it's because of a TikTok influencer who is already has an established audience, not because you posted a book, you know, Lee Stein said, like, this is not your personal QVC channel to be like, hi, I'm Jen. This is my book. No one cares about that. And no one wants to see that. They will scroll right past. TikTok is very much about like emotion. And so these young people, this Gen Z, they want to read something and then talk about something that they gave them some sort of feels, whether it's like crying or scared, whether it's suspense, thrillers, or like Colleen Hoover videos where people are sobbing over her books. That's the kind of stuff that's relatable on TikTok. So I think one of my strategies, I wouldn't, don't know if I even call it a strategy because I'm still very much learning TikTok. But I think with my next book, I will try to connect with some book talkers based on common interests or books that they like and maybe try to send them an advanced copy or something like that to establish some sort of connection. And then let them do, do the posting on my behalf because I have a measly following and it's mostly my author friends. So, you know, I don't really think that that's the best way to approach it. I think you're better off trying to connect with people that already have an audience to post on your behalf. That makes sense when you think about the psychology approach to that as well, because what people are paying attention to is the actual book that someone else is showing, not necessarily the person showing the book, right? So if someone already has a following and has a rapport for great recommendations that sounds like a much more effective use of your time and a smarter strategy yeah save your time and energy and let them do it for you yeah and you know you have to get it to them you have to put it in front of them there's effort there should build a little bit of perhaps like a relationship beforehand Mm -hmm. rather than just like cold pitching hey do you want my book it's sort of like okay follow them for a little bit a comment on some of their posts create like a little bit of a dialogue they might be more open to receiving book from you and working with you if you've already kind of done a little bit of that yep. work. And I think that speaks to the importance in in all aspects of being a good literary citizen. We need yes. to be good literary citizens. We need to support each other through this process. Anyone who is in the path to publishing, wherever you are in that world, understands just how hard it is to write a book and just how much it takes out of you. It takes everything, oh really, right? Yes. Like it, it, it does. It takes everything. So we need to support one another. I'm, I really believe that. Yeah. I mean, uh, writers would love to just write the book and be done, but that's just not the reality. Yeah. And like you said, it takes everything emotionally out of us to write. And then you are faced with like, oh my gosh, I did do all this marketing. It's regardless of which publishing path you choose. Because like you said at the top of the interview, traditional authors are expected to do marketing too. So you're not going to get out of it either way. No. What you focused on right there. I think this, it's very common, if not multiple times throughout the writing and publishing process, at least once it's going to happen, there's going to be an overwhelming feeling of exhaustion, right? Yes. When have you experienced that and how do you work through that so that you can keep going? What do you hold on to? Okay, so after Best Years came out August 29th, so literally the end of August, from that point, the next three months, like into November of this past year, 2022, I did like 18 in-person events. It was crazy. And I'm in a small little town. I am not in some big city, okay? I'm in a small rural town in Pennsylvania. But I worked my butt off to try to find festivals and signings and set up all these different events. And it was a lot. I enjoyed it in the moment. But by that, by the time my calendar had kind of wound down and I didn't really have anything else planned out, it was like just starting into September, December, 
and holiday season and all that. I remember sitting down and just going, okay, wow, I am exhausted. And I am so looking forward to a quiet month. Didn't really have anything planned. And I didn't let myself feel guilty about that, that I was giving up on all the marketing because no, you can't sustain that level. Marketing around a book launch is a lot. And that's to be expected because you're launching a book, you know, a little bit of the pre-launch and then you're up here on this high, but it's eventually going to come down and you don't want it to drop off the face of the earth and never talk about your book again. But it's okay to come down a little bit and then maybe you'll spike back up. And over the next few months, a, a podcast interview will pop up and you take it or, you know, another book signing or then all of a sudden, oh, I've got a new book to launch. And then you're talking about both books. You just want to you want to keep the momentum going, but it's impossible to sustain it at such a such a high level. You have to give yourself a break. Would you say that it's important for writers to know that they're not alone in that feeling? Because, oh, my gosh, <laughs> That can be defeating, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, I enjoy a lot of the marketing and the in-person things and the interviews and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I know there's people that despise that and it would be totally out of their comfort zone. I can't really speak to, and that would be even more exhausting if it was something you didn't enjoy. I know that's tricky for a lot of people. When it comes to marketing, I think you have to just figure out what you're comfortable with and what you're not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And with that, holding on to the idea of your why. Why are you here? Why are you willing to invest all of you? And you've done all this. You're talking about 18 events that you're attending. On top of, you've mentioned being a full-time copywriter. On top right. of being a full-time mom, which, by the way, is a full-time and then oh some gosh. jobs. Yes. <laughs> and this is common. This is a common balance for writers. Like The reality is that we usually need full-time jobs. Like Very rarely do we not have a full-time job on top of this. And we have families. And right. then we also have friends. So balancing all yeah. of that and figuring out, I think, just how to divide your time, but divide your time in a way that you are also not, you know, not burying yourself because you also yeah. need to show up present and enjoy life as well. Exactly. Enjoy the process. Yeah. And I mean, at the end of the day, like my family comes before writing your book, you know, and when I when my kids were small and still at home, it was tough. You're writing at nap time. You're writing in the evening. I have a, one of my closest writing friends. She gets up at 4 a.m. every morning and she writes for a couple hours before the kids get up and go to mm -hmm. school and all that religiously. So you you figure out what works for you, but it, it could be it could take longer when you're in that phase of life. And finally, this past year, this past fall, my youngest went to kindergarten and it was like, Oh my gosh. Okay, I'm like, Great. So we're it. I don't have a child running trucks up and down my leg, which I kind of miss if I'm being honest. Right. But, yeah. You know, so yeah, it's just, it's a trade off. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to know specifically your why. Why was Best Years of Your Life so important to you? Why was this the book that you needed to write? Oh, interesting. I always approach my writing from a standpoint of entertainment. I'm not here to say like I'm writing some very philosophical, like life changing, some very inspirational message. I, I love those types of books. But for me, I, I find books just a pure form of entertainment and escapism. And I think during these past few years with COVID and when we were all stuck at home and all of that, we all needed a little bit of an escape. And so that was something that really I wanted to, to get out of this novel. Plus my prior experience as a college instructor. So the book is set on our college campus. It's very much like campus life drama, all of that sort of fun stuff. I pulled a lot of information or inspiration from that. And so I think it was really just the why of proving to myself that I could write an entertaining story and get it out to readers in a professional manner 
and stay, like I said, kind of on par with a lot of books that I admire and authors that I respect. And I feel like I've done a decent job at it. I think you have too. All right. So we are at the top of the podcast. At the end of the podcast, I do like to do a final three. You have shared so much great information and insights into not only what self-publishing is and why it is the best route for many, many writers, but also your personal experience. So thank you so much for all of that. For the final three, I think what I'm going to throw at you is a process question, a publishing question, and then a personal question. So you ready? (laughs) Okay. Uh, You're a type A person. I've seen that through your reels on Instagram, and I've seen your your boards of post-it notes. And I look at that in awe. And I think that I really value plotting. Like I Uh always tell people, pantsing is the way for some people. I try to push you into the plantsing if you don't want to fully plot. But I'm also a huge advocate for plotting because the reality is, is that if your structure is strong before you start writing, it doesn't mean that it doesn't work as you need to have flexibility. It works as a guideline. But at the same time, you know that there is structure. It can save you you a lot of time. Yeah, like a lot of drafts. So you have mastered your process of plotting. Now, that is something that's going to change per writer, but I would love to hear what is your strategy when it comes to these post-it notes and how do they not just become post-it notes? (laughs) Yes. With best years, it's multi-PRV. So I had to do some sort of structure outlining to keep all the characters straight and the voices distinct and making sure that it was balanced, that I wasn't like too heavy with one character for too long before switching and all that. So I used color-coded post-its and my kids had this huge whiteboard that they like to draw on and and, and that kind of stuff. And I I put all the post-its in order, like chapter by chapter and, and a different color for each POV. And so I could step back and look at it and sort of say, okay, there's too much blue or there's too much orange or I need to move chapters around. And that really worked for me with this book. It was very plotted, new upfront, like pretty much the whole thing. I knew what was going to happen beginning, middle and end. And it made the writing process a lot easier, I think, for me. I have friends that are cancers and my brain just doesn't work that way. I would just be so anxious. I would have anxiety and I feel like it would almost turn me away from the drafting process if I didn't know where I was going. Plotting gives me some energy and it gets me excited because I know what's coming up next. That was the post-its. I have them. Actually, I have a set here from the next book that I had kept. Like, here's a whole stack of post-its, different colors. The next book is multi-POV too, but only two POVs instead of Best Year's has three. So that was even harder to keep three straight. Yeah. And you have to have a full arc and structure for all of them. Now, you just held up some of those post-its. I do a podcast, but I just saw some of those. And you'll notice that when I do the visual form of this, there weren't that many words actually on each post-it. No. So what are you writing on them? And Um, and how does that keep you focused? Literally, it could just be the scene, like where it's taking place. I mean, I knew the story so well, I didn't need to write out stuff. I could just put like a word or two in in my brain. I know know what that means or what that is. Yeah. So, you know, one just says like Christmas day at home, Ryan comes over, you're, you know, oh, we went to Target. Just, and I know what that scene sort of means. And I don't yeah. need to write out exactly what happened. Yeah. I think that's obviously... a mark of you at really understanding. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it's, that's, a, that's a mark of your understanding of your story, though, because I think that at any stage we need to dump ideas. Right. But the more concise you start to become, 
the more you've probably figured your story out. Is that the reality yeah. of it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so I, I would definitely consider myself a plotter. This one was very heavily plotted. The next one that I wrote was still pretty plotted, but a, a little bit more flexibility. And I just think it varies from project to project. I don't sure. think I'll ever be a true pantser just because it doesn't fit my personality. But I, I try to give myself a little wiggle room and not feel too rigid to an outline. It's if my creativity is going in a certain direction, but just different styles for different folks. That's for sure. Well, and especially if your goal is one book a year, you probably do really need to make sure that that first structure is strong so that you don't really have as much time to work on multiple drafts. So, right. Yeah. And it can help with revisions too. You don't write yourself into a hole or into a corner that you're like, oh, now what do I do? Or you write a whole scene and then realize it doesn't fit anywhere and so you have to scrap it, you know? Sure. That's great. It's fun. And I've mentioned this several times, but I really love Jen's Instagram page. She has a lot of great advice on there as well. So I will make sure that I include her Instagram account as well as other links to find her in the show notes. And you're at Jen Craven, right? Yes. yes. I'm okay. at Jen Craven author yeah. on Instagram. And it's fun. I try to just keep it light. And obviously, if I have a book to promote, I'm promoting a book. But otherwise, just writing stuff and things that writers can relate to. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a fun place. Yeah, it's fun. Makes me laugh. You're a fun person. The second question I said that I wanted to turn into the publishing side of things. Now, when you are a self-published author, you do have to make decisions on who you're going to work with and what softwares you're going to use, the, what technology essentially you're right. going to use to help not only create the book, but publish and market the book. There's a, I, this is like really a whole episode on its I own, know. but I'd love to hear specifically what do you use for at least the publishing format? Because you do offer print copies. Yes. And I'm sure that digital copies is probably where most sales are because that's in general where most sales are, right. but you do offer both. So I wanted to know what are you using to make sure that the product is quality product? And uh, are there any other tools that you'd like to share that you just really like to use and promote? If you start to research self-publishing, you'll hear people in one of two camps. Either they are Amazon exclusive, which means that you get a higher royalty from Amazon if you're only selling your primarily your ebook through ADP, Amazon's print on demand and their platform, right? But then you'll have a whole other camp of people who say like, no, you shouldn't do that for various reasons. Like we said, one other episode to talk about all this. And that they, those people are the ones who say that they go wide. So if you go wide as a self-published author, it means that your book is available beyond just Amazon on platforms like Kobo and Google Play and Apple Books and Nook and all of those other places. Again, total pros, cons to both situations. It's a very much a preference sort of thing. I did go wide with this book. I used an aggregator called Draft to Digital to send out my ebook to all those other platforms. You can do something like that, which is easy. They, they format it for you and they take care of all of that. They take a small cut. Or you could go direct to all of those platforms and upload it on your own. It's just, again, do you want to have multiple accounts on multiple platforms that you're managing or... Is it easier for you to just do something like drop to digital that sends it, blasts it out for you? Again, totally a preference. So I did drop to digital. It's on all those multiple platforms. It's also available on Amazon, but I get a smaller royalty because I am wide and not exclusive to Amazon. I've also played with pulling it off drop to digital and all those other platforms and plopping it into KU for a period of time, like a 90 day. 
see. So there's so many different options you can play with. And as long as you're following the rules, then the platform shouldn't be upset with you. They shouldn't be kicking you off as long as you're not violating any of their their rules in terms of exclusivity and those sorts of things. But in terms of paperback, I set up mine through Ingram Spark. And then that makes it easier for booksellers to also purchase because booksellers are not going to purchase from Amazon. They will not. I mean, their booksellers in the Amazon are kind of in opposition with each other, right? So if you're through, if they can order through Ingram, then that's a much easier for them. So booksellers can order through Ingram, but regular readers can order through Amazon. They're sort of linked to the accounts. But I always push a lot of people to bookshop.org, which is a great platform because all the sales benefit small indie bookstores. I love, love giving credit there and trying to push because again, same books are available. Maybe you don't get it in two days like you would on Amazon Prime, but that's okay because it's for a really great cause and a portion goes to a bookstore of your choice. And so I really like to send people to bookshop.org. I also sell on my website. So I know some people do e-commerce on their website. Some people don't. It's again, totally a preference thing. That's really helpful and specific. So thank you for that. A follow-up question, quick follow-up question. When you started to research all of this and make your decisions, what are some great resources that writers who are debating between the two routes or the tools, what are some great resources that stood out to you? It is very overwhelming at first. You're sort of like, oh my God, what do I do here? There's so many options and more than I even just mentioned, it can be extremely overwhelming. There's a great Facebook group called Wide for the Wind. Wide for the win on Facebook. And that's a really great group for if you're interested in going beyond just Amazon. You can search, obviously, like questions that people have asked. It's very helpful. I find a lot of value in Facebook groups, actually, for writers. I know a lot of people that aren't using Facebook as much just personally anymore in terms of the social media platform. It's not as popular as it once was. But I used to a lot for groups and can ask questions to people and find a lot of really good resources. But Wide for the Win is good. And the originator of that concept is also part of Drop to Digital. So they're sort of linked and he has a really great book. So you could get the book if you wanted to read about publishing wide and those sorts of things. In terms of KDP, if you were going to go on Amazon, I found the instructions pretty self-explanatory. It's a step-by-step process to formatting the book, uploading the book. And I thought I'm not super, super tech savvy. So if I could do it, then I think most people probably could. So helpful. Thank you so much. And I'll just emphasize that really you've been an amazing resource because you've shared all of your experiences and hands-on tools that you've been using and everything like that. I'm Listening. so happy to. I'm, I'm really like an open book. I do not consider myself an expert in publishing by any means, but I'm all I can speak about is my own experience and I'm happy to help other people who are thinking about it. That's my favorite form of research though, is field research, yes. talking to people. I actually find way more value out of actually talking to someone and getting referrals and then you can make your executive decisions on what's going to work best for you. But talking to people, yeah, it's helpful. (laughs) Totally. Okay. And my final and third and favorite eager question that I've been wanting to ask you, what are you writing now and what can we expect for when this will be published? My next book is complete in manuscript form. It is done. I started it last February when I was first starting to kind of like market and when I was briefly querying best years, I jumped right into this new project. So it was about a year of writing and I'm very excited about it. In terms of publishing, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet. I actually did pitch a few small presses. 
thought maybe I would try out that experience and see what that was all about. So we'll see how that pans out. And if it doesn't, then I will most certainly indie publish it again before the end of the year. I would think maybe late summer, early fall, something like that. In terms of plot, I can't give everything away, but what I can say is that it would still fit in that sort of women's fiction with suspense elements about a my female protagonist who suffers from infertility, desperately wants a baby. She's in her 40s, has like a very overbearing mother who wants to have a grandchild, you know, these sorts of things. And she has a medical condition which prevents her from carrying a baby. But she stumbles across an infant who is alone and she takes the baby. So it is a kidnapping story with a lot of consequences, a big fallout, and lots of twists and turns along the way. But at the heart, definitely that emotional journey and drama that women's fiction is known for. That description screams that to me. It screams high emotion, high plot to me. I am really excited for that story. I'm particularly drawn to mother stories, mother child stories in any way. Being a mother, immediately your hook is there. So (laughs) I'm excited. And, you know, it'll be fun to see where I just always love that you're testing waters. What's going to be that best for you? And that's what I wanted to like really get across when we were talking about publishing paths is that there is no right or wrong because you choose one doesn't mean you think the other is wrong. And and even project to project, if I ended up doing small press this time, like doesn't mean I think indie was bad. It's just what feels right for the project. So thank you for clarifying that. I think that's really important for people to hear. And I think that everything that you've shared really speaks to your authenticity and what you're saying there, because I do agree with you. That's why hybrid publishing is a big thing now, right? People are just figuring out what's best for the book. So, yes. Well, Jen, it has been a privilege and a pleasure to talk to you. You are a wealth of knowledge. I know you said that you're always learning, but definitely you had a lot to share. And I'm so excited to support you with Best Years of Your Life and with your next book. Excited to share you with my audience. Yes, thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. If people want, I'm open for questions in terms of like, shoot me a DM on Instagram or whatever. I'm happy to chat with people about self-publishing or anything along those lines. Follow along for little tidbits of the new ones that'll be coming out. I'm sure if people want your to have your books for book clubs, you're probably open for that. Yes, as well. I just yes. did a book club Zoom meeting last night, actually. So I love chatting with book clubs. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of Lit Match. I hope you learned a lot about the difference between traditional publishing and self-publishing, and this helped turn your wheels on what direction is the best path for you. If nothing else, I hope you learned a lot from Jen from both her publishing experience and her writing experience. I know I did. I had such a fun time talking to her, and there's so many great insights and revelations that she shared that we can now research even further. If we have questions, as she so generously offered, feel free to contact her with questions as well as me. You can always email me at abigailpperry at gmail.com. If I don't have an answer, I will do my best to find the person who can give you that answer. And of course, I'm always open to recommendations on what would serve you best on LitMatch. So please don't hesitate to reach out to me. It means so much when my listeners reach out to me and we can communicate beyond the podcast. This podcast is made for you and you really are what make this podcast meaningful and important. So thank you for writing. Thank you for sharing your stories. That work is so important and I want to fully support you in your writing and publishing process. 
If you're enjoying Lit Match and you haven't had a chance to rate or review the show, I genuinely appreciate this. This is the best way for this podcast to get in front of more writers like you who need help with the literary agent research process, the publishing process, or the writing process. So thank you in advance for sharing the show with your writing friends, for writing and reviewing the show. It really does make all the difference. Until next time, if you're in the writing process, keep at it. If you're in the querying process, persevere. I know that it can be rough in those trenches, but I really do believe writing or submission process or even publishing and marketing process, if you believe in your story, if you hold on to your why for writing, you will find the resilient attitude and charisma that you need in order to take your book to a level where it is ready to be published. If you've signed with a literary agent, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. If you've decided not to sign with a literary agent and so you've self-published your book, congratulations. I'm excited for you. Please let me know how your book's doing, how your process is going. I can't wait to celebrate you and your book when it comes out.